This week's episode is brought to you by Two Times You. Prepare, perform, recover with the world's best compression. Go to twotimesyou.com. It's such an honor to have Two Times You on board because they're the only compression brand I've ever actually used in all my years of training. Um, for the first probably six years of that, I called it 2XU, but can confirm it is Two Times You. So yeah, do yourself a favor, twotimesyou.com. Prepare, perform, recover. Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by Australian professional triathlete Steve McKenna. Steve has become one of the best middle distance triathletes in Australia over the past 12 or 24 months, winning Ironman 70.3 to Geelong, as well as a couple of other big middle distance races. I actually don't even think Steve has uh, finished outside the top five in a race in about two years, maybe even longer. Today I've got Steve on the podcast to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going to take a look at the last four weeks of training um, on his program leading into, into his biggest win at Ironman 70.3 Geelong. Steve will just take us day by day through every single session he did right up until race day, giving you insight into a pro triathlete's life. Steve, thanks for joining me, mate. Can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in triathlon before we get into things? Yeah, sure. I, um, it all basically started breaking a leg playing Aussie rules football. Um, and it was also, um, it also caused damage to a ligament, the syndesmosis ligament that holds the fibula and tibia together. So it was 14 weeks, no weight bearing on crutches. And, um, I just, all I could do at the time really was, um, you know, take up more law subjects of, um, at uni, which is what I was studying at the time. And, and, but basically I've probably, I'm probably undiagnosed ADHD. So it was really tough for me. And I had to ask my physio at the time, like, what can I do, please? And this is only, you know, six weeks in, um, I was just losing my mind. So started doing, um, some swimming, but with that ligament damage, I couldn't kick. So I had to just tie my feet together. Um, and yeah, I did plenty of it because I was so bored. Um, I had to move home to my parents cause I couldn't work. I was a landscaper at the time and I, um, couldn't drive my car. So I completely depended on them. My car was a manual. Um, so yeah, I was, um, also told that I could do some stationary cycling. So I did that. And then I think it got to about 10 weeks. So it was about a month to go and I just couldn't bear it any longer on this, you know, gym bike at 24 fit. And, um, so yeah, I just took my dad's bike out, went up a hill and chased some random dude that was in front of me and he's got to the top and said, Oh, what's your PB? I said, I, um, it's my, it's my first ride. Um, and he goes, Oh, your first time on not in summer. I said, no, first ride on the road ever. Um, he goes, shit. And he told me the time meant nothing to me and just basically invited me out to train with the Institute of sport there in South Australia. He was, um, one of the head coaches there. So, um, it was very lucky, but I went out there and there was, you know, Olympians and a, and a few that are now in, um, you know, in the Tour de France with, with um, Green Edge and all that, but they weren't at the time. But basically, um, this guy rocks up in footy shorts for, for one of their rides and, and, um, and did, you know, had to get taught the gears on the first ride. And basically, I just crashed like three to four times in that eight weeks that I was with them. Um, and I was kind of put off. Um, and then they said, okay. Oh, I could start running again. They said, Oh, you can, you know, you, um, so I started doing it 
three times a week, I reckon, running, which was my passion because I was a state runner as a kid. Um, and, yeah, they just said cut that out. Um, and that was it for me. I thought, well, this is risky and also I don't know what I'm doing. I've been thrown in the deep end. And, and then I thought maybe straight lines and triathlon was a good idea. So I did it and I just went out and um, I was back landscaping at this point but um, and studying. But, uh, yeah, I just found that um, I loved it. I won my first triathlon and so I just quit landscaping immediately and found some some job that I could do off my feet um, in a cool centre. And um, basically that was 2015. I hadn't really, I had no experience on the bike or um, swimming besides that few months leading in that I've just mentioned. And from there I got a pro licence in 2016, so within a year. Um, I think it was Ballarat. I did 401. Um, I was just obsessed. So I just basically, um, yeah, quit everything I was doing at the time, pulled back on uni and went, you know, fully for it for that first year. And I haven't really looked back since things are improving extremely quickly every year. So, um, yeah, did a talent identification sort of thing at one point with, um, triathlon Australia and joined the ITU team. Um, but I really didn't enjoy the short course experience. So I moved straight back to long course after about six or eight months. Um, there was, um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't have dreams of crossing the line and picking up an, a tape that had ITU or whatever you, world triathlon written on it. I just, all I dreamed of was an Ironman tape. So um, yeah, you fast forward to now and I've finally quit every job that I was doing and, I'm much less busy um, and I'm really enjoying being an actual pro. Uh, I feel like I've finally become a real pro um, and it did take a while. But, yeah, that's in short how I became um, the triathlon lizard that I am now. And, and when you sort of first started, um, when you when you were in your first year or two, um, when you said you sort of just got into it and you're obsessed and, and within a year had your, had your pro licence, um, how much were you actually doing? Were you just training as much as a, a pro triathlete would, like as much as you do now? I think so, yeah. I just um, was a lot more tired. Um, so like I, I always say to people like, if you can't get a boner, you're training too much. <laughs> and for that first, for that first two years, I couldn't get a boner. I could, but you know, I was just not that, not, not really keen. I was just so tired. Um, if, if it came down to it, yeah, we could make it happen, but I just wasn't really interested. So I, I, I thought I was training too much at that point. Um, and now I'm back, I'm, my testosterone's huge and I'm used to the training and, <laughs> but it's always a tip when I'm coaching someone, I'm like, just let me know if you're not interested in, in your partner at all. So, um, I'm lucky. Also, I realized I just probably, um, not that into the partner at the time. So we <laughs> broke up and I've got, a, I've got a new partner. So <laughs> there's definitely not been an issue since. <laughs> and, uh, does that, like, I'm not, I'm assuming you don't just coach men. Does that rule apply for, for women as well? Cause well, yeah, I probably wouldn't mention that rule when if I was coaching um, a female athlete, but um, I'd just have to say it in a different way. Um, but, yeah, um, I hope I wouldn't come across offensive <laughs> in the way that I speak generally. But, um, but yeah, I just cheered my crowd with that one. Um, I think – but I don't, I don't really – to be honest, I feel like it takes someone who, who knows a bit more 
um, to, to coach females. So I don't actually take females on and it's not a sexist thing. It's purely that I want to do a good job and I'm not sure that I would do a good job um, coaching a female until I've done some, you know, uh, got my head around more about their, um, you know, the hormones and the, um, all the cycles. And it's just, I think it's very different. Um, I've got my experiences and I've been coached by men and you would have to know a lot more about how the female body recovers and works. So I'd love to, love to do it one day, but um, at the moment, yeah, um, I'll stick to my own lane. I realize for sure what, um, uh, at least I can admit, I can admit when I'm yeah, you know, out of my depth. That's actually really interesting because triathlon is a sport that has such a culture of, you know, um, person takes up triathlon at, at 30, um, is in the sport for five years and is suddenly a triathlon coach. Um, and mm-hmm. like that, the sport's just littered with it. Like all, pretty much all of the triathlon coaches and group coaches you see have just taken up triathlon, you know, in their twenties, thirties. And they, they, they probably haven't done what is required to actually coach the amount of people they do, um, in the way that they do. Yeah. It's sort of like it would never happen if you look at like um, say Australia, for example, our big sports like AFL or NRL, you would never be the head coach mm. of, a, of, a, of a team like that um, the way that triathlon coaches are sort of made or, or, or you know, with the experience they have. So yeah. for you to say that, like, you know, you're not just doing it to make money, you're, you're doing it because you actually do care and, you know, you know you have limitations and that sort of thing. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, there's – there's, I get contacted by lots of people. Um, SA is a small pond, so maybe that's why. Um, and um, there's not many pros here, so people do come to me. Um, but I, you know, I have a no dickhead rule, so I have to make a quick judgment. And if I catch up with someone, I have to make a, another judgment. Um, and yeah, so my group is very small, and I'm going to keep it that way because I don't have time. Well, I don't want to give up too much time and I want to do the job properly. So there's just, a, you know, there's an elite little crew that I've tried to put together um, and they're all very like-minded um, based on, well, I tried to make them as much as like-minded so they'd get along and help each other with their goals and whatnot. But also I think I should also, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I should stick to, you know, amateurs and, and, and I think I can do a really good job with blokes with a lot on their plate. Um, cause that's my past. Um, and I was an age grouper for a bit as well. Um, I just think, um, I should stick to amateurs though, because I want to get more and more experience. And, and one day when I actually want to coach a lot, I feel like I can step up to, you know, serious athletes. But I, at the moment I'm, you know, when, when my guy, there's one guy that's getting really fast and there's one, you know, two guys that are qualified for, you know, the big races. So I, I think, um, you know, when it gets to a certain point and they're just absolute guns and one probably wants to go pro, then yeah, I'd tell my coach, Reedy, can you please take over? <laughs> um, and I guess that's sort of what happened with you in a way, isn't it? Like you were, you were, you were coached originally by Matty White out of SA, weren't you? Before you went across to short course and then, and then across to Reedy as well. Yeah. And Matty White, um, it, he was the local pro at the time and, you know, I wanted to go pro desperately. So I was like, I'll contact the, you know, the best in this state, um, who I can, you know, be coached in person by. And he was great. Like he developed me really quickly. Um, and he, you know, we had this like race all the time sort of, um, to gain experience without actually having that much time in the sport. So I went over to France and I raced 19 races in 16 weeks. Um, and you know, one, at one point 
I had, I think, uh, four races. There was public holidays over there. So I had like four races in, in like nine days. So, um, yeah, I got all this experience and I came back and I was only a year, and a, a year in the sport, but I could jump on a bike perfectly fast and I could transition well and I could, um, you know, tran- uh, you know, transition from one leg to the next without too much, you know, horrible heart rate, high heart rate and fatigue because I was so used to racing. So I was real race savvy straight away. Um, and then the AIS or the, um, you know, Jamie Turner's, um, uh, what is it called? Um, Olympic development squad. I think it was called at the time for ITU racing. They town identified me and I, I moved to that. I learned so much in six months, um, horrible experience for me. And I wanted to leave as soon as I could. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's an elite kind of, probably an elitist sort of group and I, I wasn't really fitting in very well. I didn't like that. Like long course was very, le- you know, it was less competitive. Um, and you know, if you're in for a long day and anything can happen and it's, there's less desperation in the, in the competitiveness in training and racing. So, um, more my style and I, um, come from a normal footy background. So jumping into this crew with, you know, blokes that have, or, or, you know, girls and guys that have just done sport their whole life, um, you know, at a high level, um, with high level coaches and everything, it was, it was pretty intense. Um, so, you know, I, I could probably jump in now and I'd be fine. But at that point in my, in, with my knowledge at the time, I was just so new to the sport that I was just, you know, I didn't even know what certain parts on the bike were. And I, I, yeah, I just, my knowledge was so low. So I moved back to Adelaide. And um, at this point, I went with Reedy um, just because, you know, I'm risking everything here and um, pulling back on everything in life uh, to chase this dream or goal. So Reedy just coaching way less athletes. So I thought it's a, a, you know, safe bet here. And he was the world champ a few years before or two years before or something. So, yeah. And since then, I, I just said, like, that's it. I'm, I'm with Reedy for the rest of my career. I want to stick with one coach. Um, and I really do believe in him. So it's going very well. Yeah. A, a bit to unpack there. So, um, you sort of started to speak about how your experience when you went across to short course racing, um, inside like a high performance squad wasn't the best. Um, what sort of like, what sort of specific stuff was happening in inside the group? So like, Take us like for, for all of us who haven't been in that kind of environment, what actually happens? Like how does it work day to day? What about it sort of didn't you enjoy? And, and can you give us like some, some examples of things that were happening inside that, that squad? Yeah, I think like, I think there's certain coaches in trials in Australia that are great. I just got the wrong one. <laughs> so, you know, high performance can be amazing. And they can; those coaches can do the are probably doing the right thing. But I just got unlucky with the squad I was put in. Um, I suppose uh, it was it was it's no secret it was Jamie Turner, um, and I was a good judge of character. I just I didn't really like the bloke to be honest. He was not a nice person. Um, that was just my assessment straight away. Um, after you know he butted me up for a while, and then a month in, I was like, oh, that was fake. Okay, this is what he's actually like. <laughs> so um, basically. Um, yeah, just like kind of like beats you down um, day by day, and you're like, how am I going to race confidently like uh, like this? So 
yeah, I don't, I don't know how many of those people in that squad would feel the same because they were in that squad for so long and they had, you know, uh, affection for the guy, but I never got that affection. I came in as an old person that wasn't really into this style of coaching and not everyone can react to that coaching. It's kind of like you rock up to a training session and you must have your bottle of water and your bottle of electrolytes. If you don't have both, you're going home and you're walking home. Um, It was kind of like that. So I, you know, if, if I did, I was, I'm a forgetful guy, really forgetful guy. I'm careless at times. So I'll rock up and I'm like, shit. And you need 90 grams of carbs or something straight after the session and you need it, or you're going to get real, you know, you're going to get yelled at in front of everyone. Not just, you're not going to get told that you should do this. You're going to get yelled at and embarrassed in front of everyone. So I had 90 grams of carbs, but I didn't have my electrolytes one day. I had like a protein shake. So I just, took two bottles and pretended one of them was um, electrolyte, one was water, but he looks in your bottles when you're swimming. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like a 26 year old at this point. So I'm like, I don't want to be treated like a child like this. Um, Like I'll make a mistake and I'll just be slightly, slightly less sodium filled today. That's fine with me. (laughs) Like we're only swimming three and a half game, mate. And we're having a break after this before we run. So chill out a bit. Uh, and I get you want to drill things into people, but there's a way to do it. And it, that wasn't the approach with all athletes, but he had one shoe fits all kind of approach to this. So, yeah, I, I was just getting screamed at um, in front of everyone. And I'm like, this is cooked. Like, I'm not a bad person for not bringing my second bottle. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, then similar things like that would happen basically. So he would make the whole group wait for you um, if you hadn't if you didn't have like leggings on, you had to wear full leggings if it was under 18 degrees. <laughs> so, I mean, I was warm one day, the sun was out. So I just came out in summer gear and he started yelling at me because I didn't have my tights on. And I'm like, he goes, what's the weather? And I was like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty warm. Um, it was the middle of the day and he goes, what's the weather? And he used to keep yelling at me. So I just checked the weather. I'm like, All right, it's 17. He's like, so what do you need to do? So I had to go back inside and everyone's pissed off because they're waiting for me. I'm like, this is crazy. That story just doesn't sound real. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, there's plenty of them. I mean, that's all I'll say, Um, but there's plenty of them. Um, There's a lot worse stuff. Lauren came over for a few weeks and she just goes, (laughs) we're leaving. (laughs) Um, And thank God she came to visit. Um, she would have been pretty bored because they spread out and I, this, you know, all the theories, all, all of it makes sense. I took a lot away from it. It's really good. The ideas that they had, it was just, it was just, it was just provided to us in a bad way. So I think the other TA coaches might be doing similar stuff with, as in, you know, like you separate your training so we can rest up and get the most out of ourselves. So, you know, our training, we'd only do a certain amount of hours per day, but we'd do a swim in the morning. Then you'd do run like midday and then you'd ride in the Arvo. So it's like you got, you know, you break it up and you get the most out of each session and you can recover properly and blah, all that, have a nap between things and because it's high intensity with high t- ITU training. Um, and that's great. And maybe the other guys are implementing similar things, but they're not getting abused at the athletes aren't getting abused at the same time. So yeah. Um, I'm an honest guy. I'm an open book. If anyone asks me questions about this stuff, I just say, um, it's the truth. So (laughs) I'm not making anything up. It's, um, it's just hard to, uh, it's hard to imagine, uh, like an environment like that where 
it's a group of people who are trying to be the best in the world and, and you're getting told <laughs> that because the weather's a little bit too cold, you have to go and put on long tights or you're not coming riding with us. Like yeah. that is, um, that's primary school stuff. Yeah. I just made to feel like an idiot 24 seven with this guy. So I, my, I, yeah, I literally felt like a bag of shit every single day. Um, Lauren came over and my mental age had gone backwards and, um, she was like, Oh my gosh, you're not even the same person. Like I was waking up with nightmares and being yelled at. Like she was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I, don't know. I think I just had a bad dream. Um, and she was like, this is fucked. <laughs> and like, we went to Paris after a certain race in the French Grand Prix and I couldn't enjoy myself at all. I was a different person. I was a really laid back person before, before that I was, um, she met me and I was this long haired Yahoo, Yahoo with, um, who probably drank too much to be a pro triathlete, but um, I was really relaxed and performed well because I was a happy guy. Um, and um, and all of a sudden, you know, we're in Paris. I just finished the race that I was that we went to. So you've you've got two days in Paris. Let's enjoy it. And no, I've got to go to that APM, Lauren. I can't. Um, and you know, she ended up in tears because we were walking the streets, and I was like, Lauren, this is too much time on my feet. And she's never seen Paris. She was. I just felt like an absolute prick. And at that point we went back to Spain and I just said, that's it for me. Um, and we left and I've never been happier. And it was, you know, it was all worth it at the end of the day because the resilience I've got now is, is better um, from that experience. Um, and I look back and I go, it was a form of abuse and all the other people went through it too. But, you know, people handle it differently based on the past they've had. And my past didn't really accommodate for that kind of uh, treatment. So. I'm just a positive guy usually. So it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so yeah, uh, I learned so much though, you know, I implement lots of the stuff in my training now. So Reedy hasn't been in that environment. So his coaching is amazing. It's, it's the best for 70.3. You can imagine if, if anyone was looking for, you know, their best possible results, go to Reedy because he thinks about everything, but there's small things that I can add because of my experience with Jamie Turner. Like, yeah, lots of the theories are great. He's just an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it it's really interesting to hear all that because uh, you don't you don't think about what's actually happening inside environments like that from the outside. They they're pretty um, like they 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 sort of from the outside looking in, they seem pretty pretty glamorous. Um, yeah. But I guess that's not always the reality. Yeah. Oh, half of them probably aren't even very happy at all. Yeah. And it is funny. Like we didn't. There's been a lot of talk lately in the triathlon world about um, the way the Australian Olympic team performed in in Tokyo and and what's happening at at the the top end of um, Australian high performance in in triathlon. Um, yeah. And it sort of sounds like maybe maybe not everything's been uh, that that smooth over the last few years. Yeah, I think and and you know TA do want to do the right things and whoever's in charge they do want to do the right things and like they ask questions but like athletes are scared probably they won't they won't tell you what happens all day every day so ta can do what they can do but they haven't got eyes everywhere at all times so they can only hire who they think is right but yeah there's a certain point when when you leave the squad and you're asked what's he done and that's the first question then you know why are you employing this guy if you have to ask what's he done Mm. um and i didn't get into it i said nothing this is the first time i've told anyone um publicly or uh you know besides like you know reedy or um parents or family or close friends so um but it's in the past now and i just don't give a shit so <laughs> like what, what are you gonna do now 
I think it's good that you talk about your experience in this because um, if there is like sort of um, people who go into those programs who happen to listen to this because they're a fan of you and, and they hear it, maybe if it happens to them, they'll, they'll, they'll know it's not normal and, and won't be afraid to speak up and it affects some change. I just, yeah. when I'm, when I'm hearing you talk about that, it, it takes me back to a story I was told by a guy I trained with. Um, and I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't say who, because it's, it's not my story to tell, but he has told me in the past that if it ever comes up, um, I am allowed to speak about it, which is, which is quite interesting that you bring this up. Um, he was training in, in one of the groups, not, not your group, but very similar, yeah. um, an Australian guy. And he, he was under a coach who, who sounded very similar um, and they were doing sort of really high volume, like 30, 35 hours a week, very intense, pr- pretty much exactly what you described. Um, any, anything you did did wrong was, you know, it was the end of the world and it was very highly scrutinized. Um, and he sort of went into that squad pretty, pretty ha- happy, bubbly, same, same, exactly what you said about yourself. Um, and, and it's funny how many similarities there are in this story. So his partner came came as well his girlfriend um and she she went outside she went like down the street or something to do do something while he wasn't there and her plan was to come back to the house when he'd sort of finished his ride and he had a six-hour ride um the day before he'd had a four-hour ride and and a two-hour run and then he had a six-hour ride the next day and he'd done something wrong on the ride and he got yelled at by the coach and his um his girlfriend walked into their room and he was sitting in the corner of his room in like sort of the, not like, I don't know how to describe it. Like he was sitting um, sort of in the fetal position a little bit, just rocking back and forwards. And he's like, I can't do this. Oh my God. It just had destroyed his mental health to the point where um, he he just wasn't even a functioning human anymore. And yep. they sort of did the same thing. Like this is, this is wrong. Let's get out of here. Um, and, uh, and then like, he just said, he just talks about it and he's like two months later, I was just back. It was like, I yep. was sort of just in this like cult or something and I didn't know what was going on and my mental health deteriorated. And yeah, it's, it's, if you get out in time, you become a normal person again, but I was not myself at all. I, it sounds yeah very similar, but you get yelled at for going for walks with your partner. Um, and you know what? I see some of the squads at the moment and they're all mates and they look really happy. So lots of the coaches are doing the right thing. But yeah, this one in particular definitely wasn't. And that was, you know, that was kind of the key group for Australian triathlon um, at the time. You know, they were the best. Um, he got pick of the crop. So um, that's why some people would argue well, you're just getting handed good athletes. Maybe you're not that good of a coach. Maybe a broomstick could coach the same as you. <laughs> oh, this is, um, look, that, that's really interesting and I'm sure we could share stories about that for, for ages. But but let's move on um, to sort of what we actually got you got you on to have a chat about. Um, yeah. That that win at, at, at Geelong 70.3 earlier this year was, was massive. I, I would argue that Geelong 70.3 is the hardest middle distance race to win in Australia. Yeah. Um, and I don't think too many people would disagree with that, uh, particularly if you've raced it. It's always super hot there, and um, pe- people come into that race in form because they've had a, a good bit of bit of time post their break to to train for it. Um, and yeah, you sort of said you, you you agreed to come on and and let's just reveal to everyone your program leading into that. You're going to give us sort of um, a, an inside look into everything you did day by day and you know, people can compare it to their training and, and see, see how it compares to the guy who won that race. Um, yeah. Especially with Geelong coming up in, um, in a few months time. 
um, it, it seems really fitting that we talk about it. So yeah, I'll let you take the floor and, and, and we jump in. So I'll, I'll go four weeks before um, Geelong 70.3 because this is probably the time where we said, as in, we being me and Reedy, um, all right, I'm going to do Port Macquarie Ironman um, in May. So Geelong is now not my important race at all. I'm going to basically train through Geelong. Um, and I just, because we're not going to travel that year, I, you know, Reedy didn't want me doing Ironmans at this point. And, and he, he says, you're not ready aerobically, but I was like, we have, I want to do something big this year. Like we're not going to travel because um, Lauren was pregnant at the time and there's no way I was going to risk traveling anywhere. So I wanted to do some big things. And um, the only thing I could think of was, you know, that that's a higher level race. So I'll do that. Um, so anyway, four weeks out from Geelong, Ironman training started. Um, and in the first week I had Victor Harbour Olympic distance, which is the South Australian Olympic distance champs. I kind of don't want to miss this race. So I thought I'd just train through it. Um, but still do it um, and not really recover from it. Just go Ironman fatigue straight from it. So uh, Monday was a travel day. I was coming back from, uh, I think, Husky Triathlon um, and wasn't too happy with the results. So I thought, that let's. I'm doing Port Mac, ready. And we chatted a bit. And um, so I came back that day and I swam, I think, 45 minutes. And then the next day, um, it was an easy ride and a three and a half K swim, uh, both recovery still because I had raced. So then it was, um, the next day kind of is where it all started. Basically I did home. Uh, what did I do? I did gym for 30 minutes. So each training block seems to start with a bit of strength and then strength endurance and then endurance and then race specific and race simulations. So we only had, um, you know, we had a fair bit of time before Port Macquarie at this point. So it was kind of a strength area leading into Geelong. Um, I did a recovery swim that day as well. Um, but that it was a double swim day. So I did a four and a half K swim in the morning. Um, and then I did a, a small swim in the Arvo. But in between that, I had done a three-hour ride um, and a 30-minute run. So that was a huge day. Uh, the next day was a 90-minute ride. This is Thursday. Uh, 40-minute run off the bike and a 3K swim. And that was an easy one. Um, Friday was – oh, this is another massive day. Uh, 5K or 5.5K swim um, at squad. And then I rode three hours with efforts. Um, these were like only zone two efforts because I was going to race an Olympic distance two days later. And then I ran half an hour off. And then Saturday, all I did was go down to Victor, really short ride and 1500 meter swim. I did the race and then did a cool down run. And then that's the week done. So it was about a, what was it, 18 hour week from a race into a race. Um, and then, then this is where it gets serious. Um, three weeks out was a 26 hour week. Um, the Monday straight after Victor was a three hour ride, uh, all aerobic. And I did run, I think, 32 minutes the day before. So I probably was a little sore. Um, I swam aerobic on that Monday as well, 3K. 
The next day, Reedy does a ride radio thing where you do efforts um, and you kind of have a Zoom call as well. So all those athletes get on that. I did that. It was a two and a half hour ride um, with, uh, what was it? Six, it looks like about six times. There we go. I'll just get it. Six times, five minutes hard. And it was strength efforts. So we were slowly grinding, uh, three minutes easy. And then the rest was kind of a zone two. Um, I did an easy run off that, just zone one. And I swam four and a half K as well. So then Wednesday was another gym session. We um, were back at squad at this point. So I swam squad um, thinking, you know, Geelong, uh, you're gonna need well, you, well Geelong and the Ironman. I assume like people like Josh Amberger are gonna rock up, so I'm gonna have to go to squad because I'm gonna swim five k. Oh, sorry, four k at the Ironman. I don't really want to get dropped. Um, and then I did a, an hour forty two minute run after the swim and gym. Um, hey, hey, Steve, with these runs, um, when you say you've just done like an easy aerobic run, uh, what sort of pace are you running at? I'll just check. So this hour forty was 455 pace yeah and would you say that's pretty pretty similar to what you do most of your easy aerobic runs at uh i'd actually say that they're usually a little bit um faster but what i would have done here is gone swim squad so that was a 5k swim and it's really tough five five in the morning and then i probably would have gone straight to the gym and um and done the run fatigue so i probably just to be honest was really tired because i'd raced you know three days earlier um, at 32 for the 5k off the bike. So I reckon I was only going slow that, you know, I was only going that slow because I was probably just really tired, but you know, generally I'll, I'll run maybe 420 to 430 pace and my heart rate will still be under 120 or around, around there. So it's, it's very aerobic and it's, um, yeah, it's a bit quicker than that five minute pace I was running there. But there is definitely times when I'm super fatigued. Lots of my runs are five-minute pace. Um, I'll just mope along. Um, and, yeah, after a swim, your heart rate probably is around 120 to 30 anyway at that five-minute pace. So it still works out the same. Cool. Uh, next day was Thursday and I did a four-and-a-half-hour ride. And then I did an easy brick, an easy brick run, um, 30, 35 minutes. Um, so, and just a side note, most of my runs at this point, knowing that I was going to Geelong, um, I was kind of on bike paths local, which have some hills because I still did want to do well at Geelong. Um, and Geelong's kind of a bike path as well, where there's like, you know, all those little hills on the bike on, on the run course, sorry. So on the Torrens here in Adelaide, it's pretty perfect. Um, you just go up and down all these hills while you're running so all my efforts and all my easy runs were on these hills and I think I got to Geelong and it was just really easy um I was so used to it so um then the next day was just SWAT squad and I did nothing there was even a note there saying day off for the legs um the next day was a Saturday and I did a two-hour ride which was just a fatigue sort of ride into a two-hour run so I ran and I'll go into it. I ran two hours at 4.15 pace on average, but it looks like there was something more to it. I think I did 75 minutes uh, probably at around 3.50 pace. 
let me just check it. Yeah, so I've done I've done 75 minutes at around 350 to four minute pace. So it's kind of like I don't know, it's just like a slow build towards that. Um, and I reckon it was just like, you know sometimes um, you do a little bit more than you meant to. <laughs> and um, Reedy was probably pissed off at that one. Um, but but yeah, I think um, I was away and making the most of my time. Um, anyway, the next day was Sunday. This we're on Sunday now after a huge run the day before. Um, it was a three-hour TT TT bike ride with strength efforts. Um, so three 12-minute efforts. Um, the wetsuit swim was first, and then I did an hour run off the bike, and it was a so you see like lots of this training is is pretty pretty um aerobic and building towards iron man stuff so i wasn't really doing any hard running i wasn't really doing that much hard riding so it's interesting how well geelong went because i wasn't really specifically aiming at anything fast or anything powerful so here i did 10 k's at 340 pace um which is, you know, my heart rate's probably around 150 at that, at that pace. So it's really not that hard, but it's, um, it's off a three hour bike and it's really specific to Ironman. But, um, I think, you know, really what well, we learned a lot and I'll, I'll get to it. Um, the next week was a 28 hour week and it was very similar. It was, um, you know, hour and a half run straight after, a so it's just a slow run building to zone two. And zone two for me is probably just over four minute pace. So that was after like a five hour bike ride on the trainer. And then I spent three K in in the Arvo Monday was kind of a recovery day, but I did swim eight and a half (laughs) K. So, so I'm going a bit mental at this point thinking I'm, I'm probably freaking out about the Ironman. And, um, so the next day after that crazy Tuesday, um, was a two two hour five minute run or a thirty minute run, and the average pace was four ten. So, you know, I probably what I did there was ramp up every fifth every sorry what would it be every half hour. So um, I was I did half an hour at one sixty beats beats. So that half an hour was at around just under three forty pace, and then back down to aerobics that last half an hour. So um. Yeah, these are back-to-back days, and and that was after swimming squad that day on the Wednesday, and it was also after gym, so it was pretty fatigued. Um, so Thursday, I did a four-hour ride, a forty-minute run, and a three-k squad swim. So that was pretty intense as well. Friday was a five-k swim. <laughs> I'm laughing because this is pretty ridiculous. It's uh, a lot of volume, isn't it? It is, and and you know. He, Reedy is a smart coach. He would only give this to, you know, we've only gone through a few weeks. So there's days here where there's just a swim and I seem to recover a lot. And because the training's not that hard, I can, I can back it up. And, and we were just doing Ironman training. We, we learned a lot in this block that I react really well to it. And I reacted really well my first Ironman as well um, in 2019. Um, I raced really well at the halves at that point. But, we, we you know, we kind of learned, you know, we kind of set it in stone 
in this block that this is the way to go for me, even for 70.3 racing. So as I said, I did a 5K swim on that Friday morning and then I went straight into a three-hour bike ride with um, Ironman-specific efforts and they were like I think three times 30 minutes or something. So I then did a 10 a 10k off the bike at um 325 pace. So the pace is coming down a little bit. And these are the runs that I was talking about before. It was all on like ramping bike paths, like really up and down, small little spikes. So I was thinking heaps about Geelong at this point, thinking like, you know, yes, the Ironman is the ultimate goal, but but every run I do, I'm going to do this on the Torrens. Um, so that two-hour ramp run on the Wednesday would have been on the Torrens as well. Um, it just gets your heart rate up like Geelong does all of a sudden and then you have to bring it back down somehow. Um, so, yeah, that, I think other than that, oh, that was it that day. Thank God. Um, on Saturday, I did a 3K swim, a 2K ride. That was all zone, all zone two pretty easy. Um, and then I did an easy run off that, which was an hour 15. Um, Sunday looks like a recovery day. It was just a total of 4K easy swimming. And, and the, the hours of sleep I got were four. <laughs> so, so in that week, how many, um, how many hours on the bike was that, did that week end up being? So the bike, it was 14, I reckon. Yeah. 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 30, 30 kilometers of swimming, um, 85 Ks of running and a strength session. Um, and I reckon I went out that Saturday night. So I got, it says I got four hours sleep at this point. I was actually good at wearing my weep strap. <laughs> um, I'm not great at wearing it now because it really knows that I just, I just ignore it anyway. Um, so I reckon I would have gone out, but it was the week before Geelong at this point. So I wouldn't have been drinking. I would have, you know, just if it was an engagement I can't really miss, I would have gone um, and just had a few drinks. And, and um, But you still lose sleep. It still hurts, but at least you can um, – at least you, you're you not dehydrated as well. It doesn't ruin your race. You can make up for it when you get to the – when you get to Geelong. That's what I always think. Um, and now I've got a kid, so I'm, I'm sleeping like that all the time. <laughs> okay, I guess where, like, my head goes is this is two weeks out from – I would say arguably the, the best race you've ever done. Um, yeah. And, and you did 28 hours. Yeah. So, so Geelong, now we're on to Geelong's week and that was a 22-hour training week. So oh. I did a 22-hour training week on the week where I had the best race of my life and I'd just done a 28-hour and a 26-hour week. And the week before that was a race um, and an 18-hour week. And the week before that was Husky and that was a 15-hour but that was a half Ironman. So um, this was a busy period. It's interesting because pretty much everyone talks about like, I don't think it matters who you are, um, whether it's your first 70.3 or whether you've done 10 of them as an age grouper um, or even as a professional, pretty much everyone just tries to follow or, or copy a taper that, that they're given by someone else or that they've seen from someone else or that they think they have to do. Um and for some people, it can be like, for some people will do three weeks, you know, two, three weeks, like where they'll back off and the last, the last week has three, four hours training in it. Um, mm. And then, and then you see you who won the race um, and had, had the best race of your life. And, and you've done like, you know, um, over 50 hours training in the, in the two weeks prior. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's um it's pretty we were we were interested in it because really brought a lot of fatigue into that race um as well he was training for port mac too and he was on his big training camp and he did pretty well too i think he came third that day and he was a bit more fatigued than me um i would say um being away on a training camp so but but yeah i think that it was just a really good learning point for coach and athlete that that day um that i react well to this stuff so on that race week i think i only started tapering on the thursday so i was tra- i kind of i trained as normal so i i did a 3 hour ride on the monday um it was about 100k um and it was all zone 2 so i just i think i might have the average power it was 210 watts so it's definitely a solid zone two for me um and then on the tuesday oh sorry i also swam half an hour that day so 2k and then on the tuesday i swam squad three and a half k and then i rode two hours on that ride radio with reedy so we did efforts race specific efforts it was kind of like three times four minutes um then straight up after that six times five minutes um, with, you know, certain builds within and race pace into race, you know, harder race pace or into um, threshold or something like that. And then I ran an hour off the bike and it was all aerobic on that one. So that was a pretty large two days in a row. Yeah. Especially like five days out from the, from the race. Yeah. So then Wednesday, I think I traveled on Thursday. So Wednesday, I still, I still did a um, two hour ride and that was heat stress. So I kind of aimed to lose some weight and put heaps of clothes on and put a heater on in, in the garage. Um, so I'm, at this point, I'm like, well, I'm, I, mean, I will start tapering tomorrow, um, but I could stay fit with the heat work. And I'd, I've probably done a bit of it here and there. I would, I would have been in and out of the sauna after lots of my swims on the last week and a half, but I listened to your podcast with Reedy and so people would have heard this already, but yeah, it only, it only takes 10 days to get heat adapted. So my sauna work was enough um, every second day. Um, so this was the only heat work I did in the, on, on the bike. So I did a you know two hour heat work there and I swam three and a half K straight after that. Look at this. I got nine hours sleep that night. <laughs> And um, that must have been the key. Yeah, yeah. So Thursday night, I got, I got, I got nine hours as well because I I had left home. Um, and what am I going to do other than sleep when I'm uh, alone at a race location? So you can really recover really. Good. I I personally get to a race and it's almost like a holiday from Adelaide life. So um, you know, no, nothing social, no family to catch up with or friends to catch up with or anything. So. Yeah, I did um, an eight-hour run when I got to Geelong and I did a hour 20 ride when I got to Geelong as well and then slept nine hours. And the next day, um, he's got a note here, very short drop-off taper. <laughs> so it says, um, so I did 2K swim and that was it, slept eight hours. And then the next day I rode like an hour 15. I ran about 4K and I would have, I would have been running this whole week probably in some some sort of super shoes. Like, yes, I'm running a fair bit on race week, but I'm doing it in the shoes that don't hurt your calves or anything. So um, I'm in my eyes, I'm still tapering the tiniest bit. <laughs> and I swam about 1,500 that day as well. 
And then I raced Geelong and yeah, I'd call it the race of my life um, up until that point. So I ran a 110 off the bike. We rode up to the lead pack, um, which was just Trent Thorpe and Ann Berger. So at this point, you know, um, I might've been a pretty good swimmer, but I'm, I'm not at, you know, they're the best swimmers in the sport. So um, I wasn't at that level. You can't expect to be swimming with them. So we, um, we had a little pack like me, Reedy, Burkle. Um, I forget who else, Lockie Kieran for sure. Um, that's probably about it actually, four of us. And we rode up to those two. And um, I think my average power was 280 watts. So that's it was pretty good considering the fact that, um, you know, we we basically come to a complete halt once we caught them with 20K to go. So, because, um, you know, if you're at the front of the race, then what's the point now? And that's probably why I ran so well because the heart rate just came right down. We just worked so hard to catch them. And then all of a sudden we've got 20K to go at the turnaround. Um, and, you know, no one wants to take the lead there. So if you are taking the lead, you're not doing much on the front. Um, and then, yeah, we got off onto the run and um, that was it. I think So I'm looking here. I held about 295 watts up until we caught them. And then after that, we averaged oh, 260. So we slowed down heaps. Um, and that brought my average power right down. But it's still a solid bike before that. And then, yeah, just ran really comfortably. Things just click some days where you're like, this doesn't even hurt. Um, but, yeah, it was just really strange off of that much training. And then um, I wouldn't. It was obviously wasn't a waste because I won Geelong, but Port Mac got cancelled. So um, all that training was kind of pointless, but I wouldn't have learned what I learned otherwise. Yeah, so take me inside that race a little bit. Um, I think it's it's really fascinating um, for, for the average person to, to hear about what goes on in, inside a pro race um, because we sort of see it and watch it, but it, it's very different um, watching it versus being in it. Yeah. Um, so when you're in the swim, can you talk me through that? So you weren't, so Amberger and, and Trent Thorpe went off the, th- off the front. Yeah. And what's it like, what's going through your head in that swim? Are you, are you trying to catch them? Are you just like picking someone's feet? You're trying to sit on. Um, so I led, I led the pack that we were in that day because I was so desperate to not let Josh and Trent get too far away. And my plan, you know, my plan every time they come, is to definitely stay with them. Um, it's just um, probably my ego and I, I've been training really hard on my swim to get it up to their level. So every race I'm like, I'll test it. I'll see if it's worked. <laughs> um, and every race I don't hold on. So we, we, you know, we probably get 400 meters in on their feet and then they're gone. And is that because you're holding like a, a pace that's just above threshold and you have to slow down or is it because they're sort of just swimming controlled for that first 400 and then, and then they, they make a move and, and you just don't have that pace to go with them. They either, well, it could be either option and we don't know. Um, to be honest, if you're that good at swimming, you can do what you want every, and they probably change the technique each race. They probably try to get rid of you straight away. And if they don't, they'll probably back off a little and then just go at the boy, the first turn boy. Um, but either way, I tried to go with them. I got a really good position on on Josh and Trent's feet. And then, you know, I was sprinting to keep up in the first 300 metres and I, I just went full lactic. And that was – and to be honest, that was a horrible swim for me in Geelong because um, 
because I went pretty deep in that first section, I, I then led the group wanting to keep the gap down. But retrospectively, I, sh- I really shouldn't have led the group. Like Reedy tried to come past me at one point and he was laughing after the race saying, why didn't you take my help? <laughs> so he came up and he was next to me and I was so, I so, I just didn't, I didn't want anyone to risk, um, you know, getting on the front and, and slowing down and Reedy wouldn't do that. Reedy is the same kind of racer as me, but for some reason in my head, I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to fucking keep sprinting after them. <laughs> but I just didn't realize we were going so slow because I was, I was cooked. <laughs> um, but anyway, we got on the bike and I did feel a bit better after the run in tra- into transition. Um, and what happens in a pro race then is um, the first 20 Ks is always pretty hard. Um, you kind of, we're trying to catch up and we're also trying to drop whoever doesn't, whoever we don't want riding with us. Um, if they're just going to sit there as a passenger, we don't want them there. So uh, the first like five minutes I can see was about the 340 watts. Um, and, you know, for a little guy, um, that's a fair bit. So we were traveling at, um, what's the speed? It hasn't, it's not giving me speed. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't have speed that day. My GPS was found about halfway through the ride. Um, <laughs> um, so I didn't know what pace we were going the whole ride, but I knew the power. So that's all that matters anyway. Um, and yeah, basically that first section dropped a few of them and there was just the four of us left and, um, yeah, the, the race just goes, um, you know, uh, I reckon Lockie and Reedy did a fair bit of work on that first lap. And then, um, me Burks, um, helped out in the second lap and, um, oh, we helped out the whole time really, but I just know that Lockie, I, I was really, um, stoked with their work ethic because they just kept going back to the front. You know, if we were taking turns, um, Lockie seemed to want to take three turns to everyone's one turn. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, we're not going to stop him from doing that, but, um, yeah, he, he, um, he's just a beast on the bike. So, um, we got up to them eventually. And when you're riding in that group, just how hard is it? Like, um, cause we, like, I think power is very, um, it, it, power can be really hard to understand, um, what your like rate of rate of perceived like exertion is because everyone's everyone's power is so different and, or, or maybe some people don't use power. Yeah. So like maybe, yeah. Like how hard are you working for that whole 90 Ks? Um, and how hard is, is like certain sections compared to others? And, and is the bike harder than the swim and the run? Uh, well, so yeah. So it's pretty punchy when you ride with Lockie Kuhn because he is so strong. So when he goes on the front, whoever's behind him has to, has to try and keep up and it's pretty tough. Like, the first lap for me, um, the first section was tough. Uh, the first lap for me was tough generally. I was um, panting a fair bit and thinking, oh, am I going to hold on to this group? Like like I'm pulling turns here and there as well, but, but you know, they, they, they near kill me. So I'm like, am I going to get dropped now if, if after I pulled a turn sort of thing? Um, and I say pull a turn because, you know, we're keeping our distance for sure and there's only four of us, but like, 12 meters, you're getting some draft. So, so basically, um, yeah, the, the second lap, well, I, I talked to Reedy afterwards and he was like, that second lap was tough for me. And I, I was the opposite. My first lap was real tough when he was pumping it. And then I tried my hardest to pump it on the second lap when we were really getting close to catching them. Um, and that's where I was actually feeling good. I don't know why. Maybe I'd, maybe 
I was hurting on the first lap because I struggled so much in that swim after the first section that I was still flushing lactic acid the whole first lap. And then, you know, you come down into Geelong, down the hill, and there's a lot of rest basically. So I reckon I finally kind of came good on the second lap and started feeling really good. And um, I always know if I need a piss, I've hydrated pretty well. So I was desperate for a piss starting the run. And um, so, yeah, that's why I know I knew I was going to run well because I drank enough on the bike. Yeah. And then when you, when you got into T2 with that group of six, um, how did the, how did the race play out from there? Did you just run off the front and, and no one could go with you? Nah, well, um, we got out onto the run and, um, I'd gone no socks. So I got, I was in a good position. I'm pretty slow in T2. So I had, I had to come up with some way of wearing no socks and save some time. So, um, so yeah, I like taped those next percents where it gives you a blister under the foot, put some like cloth tape in there and heaps of goo, like heaps of gooch goo um, to make it more slippery. And then I cut the back off the air, off of them so it didn't cut my heel. Um, and it worked really well. So I got out there, no pain in the feet, no cutting in like they usually do. Um, and Trent Thorpe just stormed off. So we followed him Um and we ran, we probably only ran like 3.30 pace for the first 2K. And then we ran maybe 3.20 pace for the next 2K. And we're all a group still, four of us were still there, I think. It was myself, Reedy, Trent Thorpe and Tim Burkle. And then um, we went down this hill and everyone, you know, there's a, an aid station at 4K probably. And everyone went to grab a drink, but I was carrying, I always carry like a Powerade bottle with me just to hydrate for that first lap. Um, so I had it tucked into my neck. Um, so I didn't need the, the drink. So I took that as an opportunity just to speed up a little bit and get a head start um, when they grabbed a drink. So I did a 3.15 on that K. Um, and then I ended up just doing a through. Uh, I'll just look at the pace actually. I did a few 3.15s in a row. And I looked back and everyone was maybe 100 metres behind and then that gap just kept opening up. Um and it was a well-paced run in the end. I don't think I slowed down. My average pace was 3.24 in the end. I reckon the wind was picking up towards the end as well. But um, I just look at that section where I did pull away. I didn't. I don't think – so people might have thought that my pace changed a fair bit, but it didn't. It was just that people started slowing down, I think, because it says here – 325, 327, 320, 321, 325, 325, 325, 326, 324, 325, uh, 315, 315, 320, 325. And then we had that headwind at the end where it was like all 330s for the last 3K or just over 330s. And that was it. And how were you feeling on a run like that? Like were you were you, were you comfortable the whole time or, or is – is there points on that run where you're having like that internal dialogue where you're like, oh, just fucking stop or like quit or this is too hard? I thought it was going to come um, for sure, but it was – and it usually – usually the runs are horrible, but um, this is just one of those days that you get where um, it was just feeling really good. I think that last 3K were hard because I had that headwind um, and I was getting tired. Um, but until that last 3K, I was – yeah, really comfortable just waiting for something bad to happen and it never came. So, yeah, they were all 
like, you know, I got to the 15K mark and it was still feeling really easy. And I was like, shit, I reckon I'm on here. Um, and I probably had a minute on Trent Thorpe who was behind um, and the others started to drop back a little bit. But, um, but yeah, the last 3K was admittedly tough with that, you know, going into the wind and then finally wanting it to be over because I'd just gone up that hill um, at the turnaround at Geelong. So, yeah, then um, – but, but yeah – Honestly, the, that was just one of those days. It doesn't happen very often. It just felt really easy. So I just, I'm just, I was excited at that point thinking like, yeah, it's not going to happen all the time, but every now and then it will happen. Um, and that'll be great. <laughs> and then what's going through your head when you're running down the finishing chute? Like, like everyone who's done a triathlon knows that feeling when you, you get onto the carpet and you cross the line and it, whatever, you, you know, you're happy or you're relieved, but What's that feeling like when you win a big race like that and, and you're running down the finishing chute? Uh, well, everyone would argue that I was just angry about it because <laughs> I came across the line uh, yelling and angry. And I, I think it's just I achieved a big goal that day for me. Um, like I'd won lots of challenge races up until this point and I'd been on the podium here and there on different races, but I finally got an Ironman tape in my hands Um and yeah, I just threw the tape at the ground and <laughs> everyone was like, weren't you happy? <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I was really pumped. Um, it took a while for me to really take it in. And, and because we still thought a race was happening, I didn't really celebrate it. Um, I still thought I still had Challenge Shepherd in, in two weeks' time and I still had Port Macquarie coming up. So basically I went, I went off and... Um, went to a hotel in Melbourne straight away um, after the race. After we had a few beers over lunch, but that was it. Um, it was a really good feeling, but I I didn't take it in that much because I had more racing to come, and I was in I was in this Ironman training block. So then um, I got all the way to Shepparton. I did a twenty four hour a twenty four hour week after Geelong. Straight after, I just got straight into it basically, and then. Shepparton was an 18-hour training week because I was going as normal, um, thinking the Ironman was the all-important race. And um, and then we we found out on the, on the Wednesday before Shepparton that Port Macquarie was cancelled. Um, so I quickly stopped training. I think I I, I had like a two-hour plan ride and I got off at 40 minutes and just jumped in my recovery boots and started foam rolling. <laughs> um and then, yeah, I, I really tapered into Shepparton properly um, from the Wednesday Arvo, but then broke my toe pretty badly at Shepparton and uh, that was coming out of the swim. And uh, luckily, you know, cycling shoes, um, you know, they're made of, they've got a carbon base. So I didn't flex my toe too much. So I could still do the bike. And then I thought, because um, it was pretty uncomfortable, but I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was bro- broken in the way that it was. Um, and um, some some bone had ripped off with the ligament attached to it, so it was um, kind of out of place. Um, and then I got onto the run, and because of those carbon shoes, I could also run just fine. I, I think I did a one eleven that day, and um, didn't ride that well. I felt really fatigued, um, which makes a bit of sense. But um, yeah, I think I came third, and then straight to hospital, had surgery, seven weeks off. So I wasn't going to be doing Port Macquarie anyway. Mate, everything you've just talked about is like so, so interesting because it's not at all 
like you just don't hear that sort of stuff. Um, and it's not what I would think anyone would do. You like you won, you know, you did 54 or whatever hours it was in the two weeks leading into Geelong had a, an amazing race, like as good as it gets a massive, massive win for you. And, and then like, didn't even really celebrate it and went straight into a 24 hour training week. And it, it's just pretty crazy. And, and then, you know, to do Shepherd and with a broken toe the whole time, it's, um, that whole patch, it's just, it's a bit, it's a bit like sort of, it's, it's a bit mind blowing how, how like everything that you did and, and achieved and, yeah, and some interesting stories amongst it. So thanks heaps for sharing all of that, all of that with us. That's all right. I hope Reedy's okay with how much intel I've given away. <laughs> mm, yeah. I'm probably in a bit of trouble. You've just cost Reedy about 400 bucks a month times about 12, I reckon. Yeah. But the good thing is I didn't give away many session details at all there <laughs> and everyone's different so the, the, the fact is everyone is so different so i'm going to justify this with with saying that wouldn't work for everyone <laughs> not at all so now my next episode i just have to get a another one of reedy's athletes on who who does a bit lower volume and a bit more intensity and we'll just start to get a reedy training catalog happening <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you'll get you'll get the whole the whole bunch of what he what he can give but yeah I'm happy I didn't give too much of his um, sessions away or anything, but as, as I say, like I'm, I'm very different to lots of Reedy's athletes. So the training he gives me would be very different um, to what he would, he would give other people. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience with training with Reedy and, and that sort of thing. He is, um, if I was going to, if I was going to take triathlon seriously and, you know, if I was an age grouper who wanted to, um, put in put in time to to have a good performance he's the only guy i'd go and talk to so yeah i mean yeah he's a smart guy he's also very good at resting you up like it sounds it sounds it might sound like there wasn't much rest in there but there was days where you just swim and he laughed at that point as well when we were training it um you know we reflected saying like yeah i've got a rest day tomorrow i'm just swimming 5k and we laughed, but, <laughs> but you do recover so much when you get used to it. It's all relative. Um, mm, that's one of the most triathlete sentences of all time. Yeah. Yeah. But he also, he's also, um, he, you know, he was desperate for me to rest when I, and, and I've got a bit of an obsession with training. So he knows that and he tries to pull me back. Um, so even I had that badly broken toe, but the surgery wasn't till the next Tuesday. So I still did a, 10 hour training week with the broken toe that's so crazy <laughs> so that was after after i wonder how much of your like how much do you think of of your high um of your of you responding well to high volume was mental like how much of it is you're out there building um like mental toughness that that, that therefore helped you on race day when things got hard i don't know really but i i mean i'm i'm always thinking um I, I I always think I, I need to stop thinking like this now because I have had enough time in sport. I'm I'm like seven years in now, and that's when you start hitting your straps. But but until now, I've kind of been thinking like, well, I need to build this base that you guys have. You've been doing it for 15, 20 years, like all all of these pros. Um, I need to catch up, like, um, and I want it to happen soon because I'm I'm 30. Like I started so late. Um, so yeah, I. I've always got this idea that I'm like, I need to train more because I'm, 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 I'm still doing catch up. Um, but I think I've got a good base now. I, I did Bustleton on the weekend and 
I only had a three to four week training block of, you know, of actual Ironman training because we were training Spinoza speed before that. Um, and yeah, it still went really well. So, um, I feel like my base is actually not too bad now. I'd still got a lot of work to do and really probably last if I say I've got a good base because it can be a lot better. Yeah. I think there's no doubt about it that at the moment you're, if not the best, you're, you, you know, you're certainly one of the top three or four guys, um, middle distance triathletes we have in Australia. And I, uh, I personally, and I've told you this off air, I think that, um, I think that you could go on to be pretty much our best long distance triathlete and, and, and be a real chance to win massive races like Kona and, and Roth and, and, and even do well at like 70.3 worlds and that sort of thing. Um, I think there's a massive future ahead for you, Steve. Oh, that means a lot. I um, wasn't really going to try to do Kona anytime soon or, or, or Ironmans, but after Bustleton on the weekend, Reedy called and said, no, nah, no, nah, hell yeah, take a slot if you ever get one. We're doing Kona now. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. So maybe he does think I've got a base now. <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> it took a while to get there. He's a hard man to impress too, so. I know, yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, let's wrap it up there, Steve. That was um, – yeah, like so much good information. Um, I, I learned stuff from that, that's for sure. And, and I've been talking to people about this sport for probably the better better part of 15 years. So, yeah, you certainly um, you certainly educated me. Well, I hope I didn't blab too much with the uh, with the race, so with that, that week, you know, all the weeks I went through. I hope it wasn't just me talking too much. <laughs> no, nah, it was perfect. Cool. That's awesome. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for the chat. <laughs>